Well, good morning, everybody. It is great to be with you guys this morning. Um, I'm trying to get my slides connected. One second. Oh, that's not working. Oh, well. So, Luke, when I point at you, can you change the slides? Thanks. So, um, like I was saying, it's great to be with you guys this morning. Um, my name is Tom Evans. I'm a member of the teaching team here at Oak Ridge. And today we're going to be continuing our series on Ephesians. Uh, we're going to be specifically talking about Ephesians for the first half today. And it's on the unity of Christ's body, which is a topic I'm very, very excited for. All right. So let me, before we get started, let me go ahead and pray to open us up. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for today, God. We praise you. We thank you for the message you gave with Miss Cammie and the kids, Lord. Uh, Father, I just pray for our hearts to be open. I pray that our minds will be open to you, Lord. We want to talk about unity. We want to maintain it, Father. And I just pray that you'll give me wisdom right now, calm any nerves that is happening right now in my heart, and just help me to focus in on what your word has to say. Thanks, man. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. All right. Ben hooked me up, so we're good. So before we go ahead and dive into um, Ephesians 4, I kind of want to do something similar to what Julian did last week. Let's review what happened in the first three chapters of Ephesians. Like Julian mentioned, Paul does a transition here in Ephesians 4. He transitions from what, laying out what God did for us, God's blueprint, to transitioning to how we need to respond to that. So I'm just going to go over the six sermons that went on before this one, and I apologize to all my fellow teachers who, by reducing your sermon to one single bullet. I promise they were much more deep in depth in knowledge than that, and we should go and listen to them if you haven't already. Um, we started off with Mike Lowe talking about how God chose us. He predestined us and lavished his grace upon us. We followed up in the second half of Ephesians 1 by, just, by David Daglow talking about how we can know God and knowing him gives us power in the spirit. We were followed up by Dave Bloom, who came to talk about how we are saved by grace alone and how we need to be resilient and preach the gospel to ourselves daily. After that, Eric Simpson did an awesome uh, sermon on racial reconciliation, how it can apply to today, and how Christ is really the, the cure and the solution to all, of that, all the problems we have, and how the Gentiles are brought in to be in union with the Jews. Dave Ferguson discussed God's mysterious plan for, for bringing the Gentiles in to be one, for the creation of the church, essentially. And then finally, last week, Julian discussed how we need to kneel before the Father, how we have to have humility to understand the riches of Christ's love for us. So after all that, how do we respond to those truths? Now, like my brother Julian, I'm an action-oriented person. I, like Paul, right? We're ready to go. I'm, you read all this, how God, or Paul, Paul setting up all this, what God's done for us, everything he's lavished upon his grace, how we're saved by faith alone, and that sort of thing. You're expecting some major action here, right? We're going to go out and change the world as Christians. It's the new church. The church in Ephesus is going to go change everything, throw, overthrow the Pharisees, do something crazy. But let's see what Paul actually has to say is the very first thing we should do. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then... I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. 
one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So it's kind of anticlimactic, right? Paul was, Paul's very first command is to make every effort to keep unity. It's kind of, kind of nuts. And he says to do this by being humble, gentle, and patient. Not three words I would use to describe myself very often. And it's kind of, these words are very countercultural, aren't they? In America, we're taught to be aggressive, to go after our goals, to be proud of who we are. But that's not how God works, is it? We're supposed to bear with one another in love. Now, if anybody who knows me, they know I have a gift of finding weaknesses. My parents can confirm that. Um, but as God often does, he helped me to realize that I have weaknesses too. And he's changed those weaknesses into a strength. Now I can point out people's strengths instead of their weaknesses. And I'm thankful for that grace. I still screw it up. I'm still a sinner. Still a work in progress. But it's, it's funny how God often works like that. So let's move on a little bit deeper into the verse. I'm going to skip a couple of verses. We're going to go to Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So Paul is saying here that Jesus Christ gave us these spiritual leadership gifts of evangelism, prophets, pastors, and teachers. These things were given to us for the specific purpose of building up the body of Christ, for equipping the people. We, you and me, are the body of Christ. Not this building, we are. We are built up specifically to be in unity. You see that unity word again, right? We're supposed to be built up to be in unity and to become more and more like Christ. I want to take a moment and pause for a second. Unity does not equal uniformity. Now, what do I mean by that? So if I define unity essentially as being one whole, being one, and uniformity as believing exactly the same thing as everyone else, meaning we all believe exactly the same thing, it's completely homogenous. That's not what God is calling us towards here. That's not what Paul is trying to say, in my belief. There are certainly absolute truths, such as the inerrancy of Scripture, the divinity of Christ, that there is one God, one faith, one baptism. These are the absolute truths that we all need to agree on as believers in Christ, that he died for us to save us, that he is resurrected from the dead and now spends eternity in heaven, that he is alive. But there are these secondary doctrines as well, that are based on absolute truth, but involve some interpretation. Some of these could be something like Arminianism versus Calvinism, which is essentially free will versus predestination. These are topics that, we, that saved brothers and sisters have debated for centuries, that are still in debate today. Now, I know some of you will believe that those are absolute truths. It takes some discernment here to understand what's a core truth and what's a secondary doctrine that involves some interpretation. 
We need to be in unity regardless of our belief in these areas. There's also other divisive topics today where we go another layer down, where we're going into the realm of opinion here. Things like politics. I know that some people would believe that you have to, you have to vote a certain way all the time, but I bet some people might be surprised to believe, to understand that there are differing political opinions here. Politics is not a super clear choice. It is not absolute truth. There is interpretation, and certainly your faith should inform the way you vote. But it is not as simple as voting one way all the time or you're not a Christian. There's even Christians that believe in essentially being anti-political, meaning they don't believe that the government is super important for Christians to pay attention to. And that's okay too. We can, we can be in unity believing in Christ as the head while still having disagreements and debates underneath. And that's okay. One other divisive topic of the day is COVID itself. A lot of people are across the spectrum on COVID. Some people don't even think about it. Doesn't, the only time they think about it is like, oh yeah, I have to wear my mask when I go inside. And that's okay. Some people are cautious and they want to stay at home and Zoom. That's okay too. We need to be able to discuss our differences and love each other, as Paul is describing, without getting super angry about it. And understanding that we can still be in unity while having a differing of opinions. All right, that's enough of that. So continuing on the, through Ephesians 4, 14 through 15, Paul says, Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. So Paul is saying we're supposed to be reaching unity as a body. And the reason we're supposed to be reaching unity is so that we are no longer tossed back and forth by false doctrine. False doctrine exists a lot in this culture. Prosperity gospel comes to mind as something that's certainly false doctrine, that Christ died to make us rich. Right? So we, part of the reason we want to have unity is specifically so the church as a whole doesn't fall into that false doctrine. And we're supposed to become like Christ. He is the head. We become more and more like him as a body and individual believers. And then finally, in Ephesians 4.16, Paul says, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So there's a sense of individual responsibility here, isn't there? We're all supposed to be growing and building ourselves up in love. And I like his analogy of the body here, of the actual body, and calling us each ligaments. Ligaments are those connective tissues between joints. So, as I was, as I've been praying for God to just reveal what he wants me to say this week, I've been praying for a couple weeks on this. I've been asking everybody I basically meet to pray for me about it. God has been revealing what he wants me to say through my own thoughts and through other people, which I'm grateful for. So when I was, uh, I've been doing a lot of exercises lately, I suspect as, you know, a midlife crisis. Um, so as part of these exercises, I was doing a push-up the other day. And I'm, as I'm doing that push-up, I thought, you know what? This is really complicated. I'm engaging dozens of muscles, you know, tons of ligaments, you know, blood vessels, etc., bones, and it's all being controlled by the brain. The body of Christ is complicated. 
We are complicated, and it's complicated because it's filled with you and me. We're all sinners. We've all been given different strengths. We've all been given different weaknesses. And it only works. The body only works. I can only move my fingers like this if Christ is the head. Christ needs to be our head of our church. If he's not, then the body falls apart. We can't move our hand like we want to. can't move our arm. So let me put some shoes on this. Unity in practice. So I think God has been teaching me over the past, I don't know, year about some things with unity. The first thing, I'm just going to follow Paul's format that he, did, he laid out in the beginning of Ephesians 4. So start with humility. We need to consider others greater than ourselves. What does that mean in practice, though? To me, it means when you see another person in church, where you're thinking about another person, you reach out. You talk to them. You ask them how they're doing. You, can, you realize that God loves that person just as much as he loves you. And you reach out to that person, ask them how they're doing, ask what you can pray for. Now, I used to be an introvert, so I'm, gonna, I'm not letting introverts off the hook here. God is, our God is outgoing. He loves other people. He created us out of his outflowing of love. Even as an introvert, we can go up to one person. Maybe we just choose one person. Maybe that, maybe that drains us completely. We can ask them how they're doing. We can text them and ask them, what can we pray for? We can email someone, just give a note of encouragement. These things are easily done with God's help. God has really trained me in this area specifically. I'm really grateful for it. I used to not care about anybody. It was just about me. And now when I try and see people, I don't believe in small talk anymore. Small talk is, already implies some level of condescension. Right? You can absolutely talk about the weather. That's okay. And the purpose can be you want to connect with that person. If COVID has taught us anything, is that we need connection. We need community. So don't worry about small talk. Have a purpose. Be meaningful engaging other people. Gentleness. We need to be careful with our language. This one is hard for me. Really hard. So when we write an email, when I write an email, I make sure it gets proofread by my wife before it goes out. Emails are a very easy way to offend people. They can't sense tone. They can't sense body language. It's just words. Right? So we need to be very careful when we have any form of communication in person or out of person with fellow believers. It's very important. Get somebody else to proofread your work if it's a written communication. But when you're, when you're talking to someone, let's say you have to even... Um, exhort them because you see a sin in their life. You don't just approach them and just say, you have a major blind spot here. You have a major weakness here. We don't just lead with that, right? We use I feel statements, I think statements, and we try and point towards the Bible where you see a disconnect, dis incongruity there. We need to be careful with our language. Patience. Anger is rarely justified or helpful. In my experience in my life, I'm a very angry person a lot of times. And I can't think of one instance where my anger has been good, where the results of it were better than it started. Anger is essentially someone, you have an expectation here, and someone meets you here at that expectation. Anger is that difference, right? We expected something, they didn't meet our expectations, we react emotionally. And then it becomes harder to do the other ones, doesn't it? It gets harder to do the humility, it gets harder to be gentle when you're angry. You just see red. 
So I'd encourage us all to pray specifically about this. In James 1.19, James says that we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. We need to be listening first. Don't just immediately assume and be offended. Listen first. Understand what the person's trying to say. Ask questions to follow up. Don't just jump to anger. Anger doesn't work. Jesus got angry a couple times, but he's Jesus. We're not. And last, we need to remind ourselves that we're not perfect either. We need to bear with each other in love, have forbearance. I'm sure all of us have been slighted to some degree by another in this congregation. I'm sure I've done some of the slighting. But when you think about what we've done to God and the grace he gives us anyways, we can take a sliver of that grace and pass it on to our brother and sister. Just a small piece, give them some forbearance. All right, so why is unity so very important? Why am I so excited to talk about it here today? Well, a few months ago, maybe six months ago, I read through John 17. And this is where Jesus is praying for all future believers. He doesn't do that very often. He doesn't pray for you and me right now very often. But he's praying for all future believers. And let me, let me read what he says. In John 17, 22 through 23, Jesus says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be as one, or excuse me, be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you loved me. So there's that unity word again, or one. Jesus' prayer for us today is that we'll be in unity. And why is that? He says it right here. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them. God's plan is to use our unity as a starting point for showing the world that he came, Jesus came. That Jesus and God love them. This is part of the evangelistic plan God had, that Jesus had, for reaching others, is for us to start in unity. If you don't remember anything else from the sermon, I want you to remember this. We need to be individually intentional about unity. Perhaps there is some grievance that you have against a brother or sister. Maybe they have one against you, and you know about it. Is God trying to tell you today to go talk about it, to either forgive the person, or to go talk, talk about them gently, humbly, with patience, forbearing? God wants to use our unity today to reach the world. Let's do that. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this teaching. We thank you for this concept of unity, Lord. We thank you for Christ, his grace, his love. Lord, I just pray for unity for this church. I pray we'll be open with each other. I pray that we'll be able to talk about topics that are divisive, typically. And Lord, that we will just focus in on you as you are the head, Christ. I thank you for this opportunity to be with these fellow believers, that we get this chance in this country to even meet as a group. And I pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.